Well, good morning. My name is Caleb. If I haven't met you yet, I look forward to meeting you. Um, Turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to build on what Rusty expounded on last week uh, so well. It's very encouraging, very astounding um, what has happened to Isaiah. And we're going to try to finish the rest of the chapter in chapter 6. Last week, Rusty clearly presented us with the astounding, awe-inspiring vision of God's throne room that Isaiah had. He was caught up, if you remember, and he saw God's holiness. Uh, And the point last week was when we see God's holiness, our response is that of humility and ultimately worship, which humility is the greatest expression of worship. Humility before an awe-inspiring God is worship. And so Isaiah was humbled before the throne of God. Isaiah, prophet to Judah in the uh, late 8th century, early 7th century B.C., saw God's glory and was moved to immediate and robust repentance. If you remember, he said, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. This absolute sovereignty and holiness of God that Isaiah saw triggered his realization and dire need for pardon for cleansing, and for even to be able to stand before God. He needed that. So we saw in verse 6 through 8, a seraphim flew to him and atoned for his sin by applying a burned coal, burning coal to his lips, pronouncing his pardon even. So we could say up to this point, Isaiah was summoned by the king. He was sanctified by the king. And now we're going to camp out and he was sent by the king. So summon, sanctified, and sent. And we're going to spend a lot of time on verse 8. We'll try to make it through the chapter. If not, Rusty can pick up with us next week. Key question before we read our text, do you realize that God has summoned you, that God has sanctified you in Christ, and that God has sent you? Not just Isaiah. No, we're not Isaiah. We are different, but we are the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church. And we have been called to God's heart. We are indeed people of unclean lips in midst of people of unclean lips. And yet God calls us to himself. Let's pick up reading in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, and the houses without people, and a land that is a desolate waste, And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a tebranth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Thus far the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. O God, you are holy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you. We ask, Father, that you would usher us in to see your glory through your word. 
that we would see, that we would gaze on the glory of Christ, and that, Holy Spirit, you descend on us like a dove, and that you would usher us up to this throne room through your word. Enliven our hearts to receive the warmth of your word, and open our eyes to see the light of your word. And Lord, may the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen. What we should notice right off the bat in verse 8 is that this is the first time that the Lord spoke. Now, this struck me as I was studying this week. Up until this point, the, the heavenly hosts have spoken, Holy, 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 Isaiah has spoken, Woe is me, the seraph has spoken and is healed. And, and, and this is the first time that God speaks. Well, what does he say? What is his agenda? What is God's agenda? His topic of interest is sending a spokesman. Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And we should stop right there and flag it and camp out a little bit of the astounding heart of God. That God's heart, first of all, is interested in his holiness, maintaining his holiness, but he is interested in emanating outwardly in glory to the earth and to his people. God is full of glory, and his glory can't but move in an outward direction, and therefore he wants to send a spokesman to Judah and Israel to say, turn back to the God that you have forsaken. His glory moves outwardly. His glory cannot be contained. It filled the temple, and actually it says the whole earth is full of God's glory. This is what the seraphim said over and over again. So what is a relationship of holiness and glory? I, I meditated on that this week and dug in a little bit. I want to try to help us with an example. Think about the sun. The sun is a, a huge ball of gas in our solar system. But it is perfect. It, can, it contains the, just the exact amount of gases in its exact place in our Earth's exact distance that it flourishes life here on Earth. It, it is it is complete. The sun is complete for sustaining life. This is what Rusty was elaborating on. You can ramp this up a million times to God's holiness. He is completely good. It is, he is perfect. Now the sun, because it's full of gases and it burns with heat, it can't help but send forth light and heat from its essence. This is like God's glory. You see, God's holiness is his essence. God's glory is that which bursts out forward and spills out into all the cosmos and proclaims God is God. He is the only God. He is holy. So that's why our passage says, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. And this is why Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And Psalm 8.5 states that God has crowned man with glory and honor. You see, when we look at creation, we are to see, wow, this God is full of glory, and he is holy that has created all these things and all these people. It is beautiful. This is important because God is holy. His ultimate interest is in displaying his own glory. 
His glory. His creation, including mankind, is a display of His glory. Think about the order of the Lord's Prayer. You remember? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy be thy name. What's the next line? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a connection between the holiness of God and the glory of God emanating out and being displayed on earth. In other words, God, you are holy. May your glory fill the earth. But we all know because of the entrance of sin in the beginning, God's glory has been ignored and rejected by many. This is what we see in the latter part of this chapter, is that Israel's hearts are hardened. Their eyes are blinded. And in fact, he tells Isaiah, go, but actually you're going to have a 10% fruitful rate. You're going to have a hard ministry. There's only going to be a tenth that remain. And Isaiah, what you preach is actually going to blind father those who are listening because they've already hardened their hearts. We saw in chapter 1, they have forsaken the Lord their God. There's been a fracture between God and his creation because of the rebellion of Adam and all his descendants, and this has become very acute in Israel, and particularly Judah. So this is why Isaiah is sent. Notice what happens after God um, asks who will go for us. This plural, by the way, uh, us, I believe, is indicating to us the nature of the Trinitarian God. Uh, our God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God in his providence has chosen to pursue his glorious plan of redemption by sending others. Isn't that amazing? God could have said a word redemption habit. He is, out of his amazing divine counsels, has said, I'm going to send broken people even. I'm going to sanctify them and send them. This is astounding that he has, he delights, God delights in sending sinful humans to proclaim his glory. This is absolutely, utterly astounding as I look at it. As I study this week, I felt like a kid. Wow! Really? But do you notice the titanic shift in Isaiah's disposition? This blew me away. At first, when he saw the holiness of God, Isaiah was stricken with grief and absolute inadequacy because of his own unworthiness. He pronounced a woe on himself, which is judgment. Woe is me. Judgment. He is an unworthy man and knew he did not deserve to stand before such a worthy God. Yet... Yet, when God asked, whom shall I send and who will go for me? Isaiah, in the midst of the heavenly council and all these fabulous, amazing, powerful angels, what does he do? Send me. That's a titanic shift between, between uh, humility and groveling and here I am, send me. What's going on here? Here in the Hebrew, it's literally, behold, here I am, or here am I. Behold, here am I. This is why most of our English translations puts emphasis on it with an exclamation point. There's, there's emotion here. That's what the Hebrew is indicating. There's deep emotion. It's not just Isaiah's going, I'm here, Lord. 
I'm here. Send me. Me, me, me. Pick me. We have to notice this shift from trepidation and humility to boldness and assertiveness. I'll go. Again, the rubric here is that, that I'm giving us is summoned by the king, sanctified and sent. I want to give you another one just to help us. The one of glory, grace, gratitude, and going. Isaiah saw the glory of God. Then what did he see? He saw something astounding. This seraph came and, and atoned. He said, you have been atoned for. Grace, the grace of God came, which produced gratitude, and I'll go. Glory, grace, gratitude, going. You see, God's glory reveals our need for grace God grants grace through Christ to us as believers and then produces gratitude and an intrinsic, intense desire to go and tell. Simply put, God's glory and grace propels us to be emissaries of his truth. Like Rusty alluded to last week, worship is our greatest need. This is why we gather on Sunday morning to be reoriented to God and his holiness. Worship is primary. It is our need. What I want to say to you this morning, the main point is that worship then moves into mission. That is the right order. We are created as worshipful beings. What matters most to us is this. What or who are you worshiping this morning? Is it this holy God that has been fully portrayed here, or is it a God of your own making? Is it the God who created you in his image, or are you creating him in your image? What or who are you worshiping this morning? In short, you, come, you become what you behold, and you are what you love. You become what you behold, and you are what you love. I'm going to try to demonstrate how this works. Uh, sometime during the fall of 2010, um, Whitney and I were living in St. Louis. I was in seminary, and we had heard that uh, the, the rock band U2 was coming to St. Louis the next summer to play in Bush Stadium. And so we thought, wow, U2's coming. I've never been to a concert. We should go. So we bought tickets. But we didn't know was that Whitney was pregnant. And by the time July rolled around, she was going to be nine months pregnant with our first daughter, Ansley. So against all odds, we still decided to keep the tickets and go. And I'm much pregnant, so we, we, we wanted to see you too. So we go to Bush Stadium with two of our neighbors, another couple attended with us. And we had an amazing time. They played for an hour. Uh, all the greatest U2 hits. Um, and then what happened when they left the stage? Can you imagine what happened? The whole crowd says, encore, encore, come back. Why? Because the crowd had seen a glimpse, dare I say, the glory of you two, and wanted to see more. They wanted more, more, more. We want more. Come back out. Then after the concert, I remember <laughs> just being ecstatic, talking to our neighbors that went with us, and then the weeks and months following, talking to other people. Man, we had this great con. It was amazing. Blah, blah, blah. You know, just going on and on. Now, ramp this up a bazillion times and we arrive at Isaiah's experience. Isaiah didn't see the glory of you two or Taylor Swift or Albert Pujols or Tom Brady. 
He saw the glory, the holiness of the great God of the universe. And he couldn't help but say, here I am. I want to tell everyone about what I've just seen. No, Isaiah saw much, much more glory than we saw at Bush Stadium that night. He saw the one whose glory is overwhelmingly weighty and attractive and beautiful. And Isaiah stopped in his tracks. And then he said, here I am. How could that be? How could that be? How could, how could a, a completely holy God do such a gracious thing to draw a sinful man, a man of unclean lips, in and let him see his glory? Nothing short of amazing, I would say. Nothing short of grace. It's a type of action that compels us to gaze long and hard and then to say, encore, encore, us desiring to see more, to yearn, to see the face of God. Yearning to bask in that glory. It's this amazing display of glory that is nothing short of sheer grace that propels us to tell others about our great God. It propels us to say, here, here am I, send me. Glory, God's glory in particular, spills out of us. Our cup overflows. It's a natural spilling over. Here's our main point today. Worship of our holy God moves us into mission. Worship of our holy God moves us. It naturally leads us into mission. John Piper says it best in the opening pages of his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says this, quote, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship, therefore, and listen to this, is the fuel and goal of missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. When the flame of worship burns with the heat of God's true worth, the light of missions will shine to the darkest peoples on earth, and I long for that day to come, he says. We exist for worship. We exist for the worship of our holy God. And we exist to pull people in, to compel people in. You look at Paul's language all throughout the New Testament with his missionary band. His, his greatest desire and goal was the ingathering of Israel and the nations to bring them into the great enjoyment of our holy God. Jonathan Lehman says it well, missions and evangelism are not merely the result of God's love, but of his holiness. God is so utterly consecrated to his own glory that he wants everyone to be consecrated to his glory. You get that? God is so committed and consecrated to his own glory, he wants everyone else to be consecrated to it. That's why he sends Isaiah and all of us. And Lehman says this lastly, a church that thinks it's holy but does not pour itself out in evangelism and acts of service is not a holy church. A church that thinks it's holy but does not pour itself out, overflow into evangelism and acts of service is not a holy church. We are built to be streams at which 
the holiness and the goodness of God come through and we flow out into others, not a pond. I want to notice one more thing here in our passage before we close. Notice Isaiah's wording. He's not, he, he, does, he didn't say, here I am, here in verse 8. He says, here am I. Here am I. This is important. He's not saying, I'm, I'm here in the room. He's saying, here I am, Isaiah, send me. R.C. Sproul was helpful here in his book, Holiness of God. He says, Isaiah could speak in terms of I. He still had an identity. He still had a personality. Far from God seeking to destroy the self, as many distortions of Christianity would claim, God redeems the self. He heals the self so that it will be useful in the mission to which his person is called. Isaiah's personality was overhauled but not annihilated. He was still Isaiah ben Amos, or son of Amos, when he left the temple. He was the same person, but his mouth was clean. And that's the truth we should see. All of us in this room, all of you have been summoned. And if you're in Christ, you have been sanctified. And I urge you, if you are not in Christ, know the Lord Jesus Christ. Be forgiven of your sins, and then be sent. He has called you, the real you, the redeemed you, and no other. This is sometimes hard for us to get. He has called you. He's not called you to be someone else in this room. He's called you to be you and to reach out to those around you as best as possible with the gifts, talents, abilities that you have for his glory and our good. You are free in Christ to be you and going and making disciples of all nations. You see, you're not to morph into Billy Graham or Hudson Taylor or Elizabeth Elliot or Mother Teresa or anyone else other than the Son. He has redeemed you. And he delights in sending you. I'm going to leave with a little bit of application. You may be saying, okay, Caleb, okay, but how? How do I gaze at God's glory and then go? Uh, because that's what I'm saying is that, is that God's holiness enables us to see God's glory, which spills over into mission because that's what God is interested in and of himself is filling the whole cosmos with his glory. How do we do that? Look at verse 13 of our passage. The last line. The holy seed is its stump, or the holy offspring. Now what's glorious about the Lord is that, yes, there is judgment on those who do not hear. In, in, in Israel and in Judah, they are not hearing. But what God has graciously done, did graciously do, is preserve the seed, the offspring, the son of Judah, the son of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who would come centuries later and redeem his people. And when we get to chapter 11, we'll see that there's a shoot that will come from the stump of Jesse. God will save a remnant of his people, a tenth, and this remnant will contain the holy seed of promise. And through this line, we will see the Savior of the world. God brought about Christ so that God's kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The writer of the book of Hebrews opens up his letter by saying, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the, listen to this, he is the radiance of, his glory, of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand the majesty on high. So how do we, in 2018, gaze at the glory of God? Do we, are we looking for a vision? No, we're not looking for a vision like Isaiah. What we're looking at is the glory of Christ in his word. We are learning. We are knowing the love and the, and, and the perfections of Christ, his perfect person and work through the gospel. It's the basics. Seeking God's word listening to God's word, taking care to listen well, that we don't have hardness of heart when the word is proclaimed. It is crying out to the Spirit of God for him to inflame us with the love of Christ. It is committing to regular worship, whether it be private or in your family or on the Sabbath with the gathered church in corporate worship. It is starting where all this started, with worship. You see, if you feel burned out or if you feel timid about flowing out into evangelism or outreach or service of others, start with worship. Go back to the basics of prayer, the word. Gather people around you to sing together, to pray together. Commit yourself to Sunday worship and be revived so that you may be sent out. Let's pray together. Oh, God of glory and grace, we praise you. We ask, Lord, that you would indeed fill our minds, our hearts, every part of our being with your glory. And, Lord, may that spill out and spill over naturally with joy to others. Thank you for this church and all the great things you're doing. I pray that we would continue to press forward in mercy and justice, evangelism, discipleship in leading our families to the face of God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.